Emma Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the teen, your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low and your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, darling? Wonderful. It's getting cold. Pumpkin pie. That's all I can think about. Yeah, we woke up. <laughs> We woke up today and it was a cold day. I know. I love it. I kind of love it. I know. I love the cats. You know, they always start looking for the blankets and, you know, I, it's my favorite and time of the year. I also, I mean, I I think winter's really depressing when you get into the depths of it. Right. <laughs> but, um, and I love the summer months. I love the spring months. But the one thing I love most about the the cold months is sleeping because there is for me there is nothing better than sleeping in a cold bedroom that is yeah i oh, would wow. have, i would have loved <laughs> to have lived in a castle in the mid- oh, I was just medieval time that. yeah 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 but i can't stand waking up i hate sleeping in a hot bedroom and lorenzo does not like having a fan on at night so that makes the summer months kind of a pain in the ass for me because I, he wants the fan on and the air conditioner on so it's a little too much mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway very happy about the cold weather as well we'll see well we're gonna get one more um heat wave before the you know that's true it, i say this every year it's whenever September rolls but around. But it just looks beautiful with all the trees. You get and, all excited the... about winter coming. I'm like, yeah, we're going to be wearing shorts all the way through October, probably. <laughs> True. Anyway, we have a couple of things to talk about this week. We are going to, we're a little late in recapping. We yes. um, wanted to get this out earlier, but for, I could really give you a long-winded reason why that wasn't happen, why that didn't happen, but suffice it to say, yeah. we couldn't get this podcast done earlier in but the week. But we'll try. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> um, so we're we're like four days late or five days late on talking about the last episode of uh, House of the Dragon, which is, I can't remember the name of it. It's after the time, oh, The Princess and the Queen. That's the title of the episode. Which which felt like an, uh, the start of a new season, actually. And it's the, yeah, it's the first episode after a 10-year time jump and a couple people, two main characters have been recast. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um and then we're going to devote uh, the bulk of this week's podcast to talking about um, Blonde, the Andrew Dominic directed mm-hmm. biopic of uh, Marilyn Monroe's life, starring Anna de Armas. And um, it's been the topic of the week. And we have some things we want to get yeah. off our chest regarding this film as two queens who, you know, I would never count us as you know, super Marilyn fans or, right. or experts on Marilyn, but um, we're knowledgeable of her work and right. appreciative of her work. So we I'm have, sure you're going to be a lot more rational than me. We have, <laughs> yeah, we have some things to say about that, but um, all right, let's start with the princess and the queen. Um, I thought it was a really interesting episode because as you noted, it felt like a new season of a TV yeah, show. Yes. Um, and it really, I, I will um, start off by saying um, Olivia Cook coming in to replace Emily Carey and Emma Darcy coming in to replace Millie Alcock um, as Allison and Rhaenyra, respectively, is some killer casting. Yes. yes. Because they actually do look like older yes. versions of those young women. What's weird is that um, all the ages are skewed on this show. And... Um, I had to keep reminding, like it's 10 years later and these characters are all acting in very mature ways, but Allison and Rhaenyra are still years before their 30th birthdays as far as the math works out. 
And um, the actresses playing the older versions of them are only about five years older than the actresses who played the younger versions. So it's all a little odd. Yeah, it's awful. Um, I I would have liked if it had been perhaps maybe a 12 or 13 year jump because I I really had to reconcile the fact that... And the other thing is that certain characters were aged up and others were not aged at all. Like, they recast the two women. They made King Viserys. They put him in old age makeup. But Matt Smith looks exactly yeah. the same. Sir Kristen Cole looks exactly the same. True. The guy who, um, I can't remember his name, the Scottish actor who you think is so hot, who was on Outlander, who plays that King's, uh, he's not Kingsguard. He's McTavish? Yeah, yeah, Graham, yeah, yeah. Graham, Graham McTavish. Yeah. Um, he's not a young man. No, and he's And they aged him. He's supposed to be even, you know, so it just, it, none of it, the casting is weird. The aging aspect of it is weird. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Uh, what I love about the the cast, uh, the the new uh, ladies, is that um, they're they're really interesting. I mean, uh, Emma Darcy, for example. Um, Emma Darcy is incredible. I mean, the first scene. I mean, you can see that they can act, and 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 you know they did a fantastic job. Also, Olivia uh, Cook, because we as we mentioned before, Millie Alcock and Emily Carey did such a phenomenal job. I was really like sad that they left um and but you know then now we have these two amazing uh people uh, playing the characters um and they did a good job i do agree with you that everybody else is pretty much the same age but you know what i get I, I, they can't replace everybody so i guess they could have aged them a little yeah i mean the queen no no the queen the king you know patty what's his last name con con i forget his last name anyway patty considine yeah thank you uh he um he um i don't know i don't like the way he plays the character uh, he's just i don't know just i wish he was a little more live i mean he feels like he's just dying all the all, all the time um just i don't like he plays a character but right. yeah that's pretty much it um it was a great start great episode um i uh you know the episode opens with um Rainier giving birth in a birth scene that is uh, not as not brutal in the same way um, the birth scenes in the first episode, you know, Queen Emma's birth scene was she died from that one, but it's visceral in a in in a literal sense. Um, you hear the afterbirth sliding out of her, um, and you see the tremendous strain that she's under. Um, even though it's not a quote unquote difficult birth uh, I mean all births are usually pretty difficult for the mother but it's not a birth that's where she's in any sort of danger uh, but even so they they take the time to show you uh, and it's rare to see that level of intimacy and um, uh, just you know humanity in a birth scene which tends to be very in in most cases it you know birth scenes tend to be a little either they're too brutal the way they're filmed, or they're too um, glossed over what the reality of birth is actually like. Right. Uh, and, you know, the only other series I can think of or show that I can think of that showed birth scenes that felt uh, true to life, and of course I'm a gay man, like, you know, I don't have a lot of, I don't have any firsthand <laughs> experience with it, but I've heard a lot. Um, the only other series I can think of that came that close to depicting what birth is like for the mother is uh, 
called the midwife, which huh. was very good about showing that, you know, birth is messy, sweaty, birth, yeah. there's shit and blood and piss, and there's all kinds of stuff involved in it sometimes. Um, and it can be a lot. It can right, be a right. lot to deal with. It's beautiful, of course, but it's, you know, um, beautiful in a very human way. Beautiful in a in a very, you know, grunting, sweating, screaming, yeah. crying I, I sort of way. I women feel watching those you know those scenes because you know they tend to be more real right in this show than than in most representations uh you know in movies and and, and tv shows so yeah i wonder but i do th feel that in a way it is part of the plot it i mean it means something right uh, um i agree i've been wanting no no go ahead but i i, I wanted to tie it into uh Print Lena's print. Le it's Lenor and Lena, right? Lena Valerian's death uh, at the end of the episode. She is the second woman to die in childbirth, right. in the, in a, a, and it's a very difficult scene to watch. It's not as bad as Queen Emma's, but it's um, it's bad. I was I was heartbroken. That, that that's um, a horrible thing. And so yeah, I agree. So I just want to return to the point that we have made in previous uh, discussions on this show that the um, the uh focus on um women's uh reproductive agency in this culture uh is very much the point of the show right they have decided to and i think that's that's one of the main arguments in favor of the show's approach is that they took a basic succession drama about you know royal people fighting for the thrones and instead of making it about men they made it about the women and not just the women who are seeking that throne like Rhaenyra mm -hmm. but the women whose literal wombs are in service to filling that throne um it was said in the very first episode that we are royal wombs um and that was something of a mission statement for the series now what that means is that, you know, for the purposes of this story, some of these scenes are going to be brutal. Um, Queen Emma's death was brutal. I wouldn't say Lena's death was brutal, but it was sad. It, it was, was real. It was very, very tragic and tragic. very yeah. sad. Um, and again, there has been some talk about whether the show should be focusing on, you know, you have dragons. Why are you focusing on this sort of reproductive health? But... Uh, again, I return to a point I've made a couple times about this show is that the best fantasy, the best speculative fiction is the kind that comments, takes something, some aspect of the world that we live in, of human life, and examines it in a fantasy setting. So for good or for ill, the purpose of House of the Dragon so far is not about big battles on battlefields or fighting zombies or dragons or anything like that. It's literally about women fighting for their lives in a system that has turned them into, um, you know, reproductive just machines. Right. I also um, like the fact that <clears throat> they kind of emphasize the, um, the role of the, the husband, uh, you know, making decisions and you know as right. we saw in the first case deciding you know let well continue you know i need a boy right um even though she was going through hell uh through her you know through the whole thing so i i do think that they touch on all these things and and you know how men react and right. how men uh help or not help uh in a situation like that back then yeah back then yes and um uh, going hand in hand with that theme, there was also an examination of women's sexual agency in a patriarchal system like this. So for the first time uh, in any Game of Thrones episode, we got to see a woman 
Uh, we got to see a woman having sex that she didn't want when she didn't want to have sex, and we got to see it from her perspective. It right. wasn't some whore getting banged in a in right. a in a you know flesh house. It this was t- an episode or two back, but I'm talking about when Allison was in in bed with King Viserys, and it was very clear that she was not enjoying herself and did not want to do it. Um, the flip side of that is yeah. is all the punishment that Rhaenyra is taking for being um, open with her sexual self and as I will argue, a little bit, uh, reckless. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about Rhaenyra, it, the, and, and you know, let's get into this. There's no heroes in this story. There's no, and it, it became a thing this week. The rhetoric surrounding this show is actually really fascinating to me. I mean, there was all these think pieces about, you know, the, the violence perpetrated on female characters. And then there were all these think pieces about uh, whether the show was homophobic because it killed off a gay right. character. And now there were all these think pieces this week about why are we watching this show when everybody on it is terrible. And again, I return to the point that I've made several times during these discussions, which is that is the world Martin created. If you if you came into this show expecting some you go girl sort of power fantasy for women or something like that. It's not going to be that show because it's very hard to root for anybody right now. um, And this is one of the more interesting turns uh, with this time jump is that they are, they have positioned Rhaenyra as the character that you kind of identify with or that you're slightly rooting for because they've turned Allison into a pure horror show. Yes. Yes. I, I think they did a lot of great work, groundwork, you know, laying that down in previous episodes about how their relationship went from friendship to yes. hatred. But I still think this this turn was not well. I mean, fine, 10 years have passed and she's become much more bitter and that so on and so forth. But um, she has done a complete 180 as right. a character in the space of one episode. Right. I think that's the problem with, with shifting and moving so quick. Yes, because yeah. we didn't see the 10 years go by. We didn't see how she reacted and right. you know, what she went through. This, I feel the same way about the gay guy. I mean, I wish we had spent a little more time with them as a couple. Right. Uh, same thing with Lady, um, what's her name? Lady um, Lena. Um, also the same thing. I mean, she was a great character. I was like... From know, what little we saw of her, we got to see a scene of her as a little girl right. with the king and then a scene of her as a teenager at the wedding and then a scene... It was three different actresses. Right. But again, she gets this big, meaningful, sort of heart-wrenching death scene. It was really well done, but I, as she's dying, I'm like, wow, I kind of wish I'd gotten to know this character. Exactly. I, I would feel way. something right so now. I, every now and then, I feel things are rushed a little right. um, based on what I read and watched on YouTube about the story. right? Uh, I feel like, oh, okay, I wish they had spent a little more time here and and they are going fast with these changes. I, you know. So, and then the other thing that ties into that is that that we were inter- well, we weren't introduced to Sir Harwin Strong. We actually met him briefly um, when Rhaenyra was running through the city dressed as a little boy. He was the guy that stopped her and recognized her. And then we saw him again at the wedding, um, stop rescuing her while Sir Kristen Cole beat um, Joffrey Monmouth to death. So he's been introduced before now, but we got to learn that he had become her lover in the ensuing 10 years and that she had had three children by him. Um, And then he dies at the end of the episode. And it's just, again, it's like, well, I mean, I wish I could have gotten to know this guy. I wish I could have seen, I mean, some version of their relationship. We got a few brief scenes of Rhaenyra and and Harwin Strong together and there was a lot of meaningful exchanges and right. it was very clear that he was the father of her children 
but we got no we never got to see them as in any sort of relationship so he dies the father of her three kids and you're like oh well okay that sucks um they're moving through some of these things too. That's fast. Yeah, yeah, it's just strange to me that they some of these decisions that they've made. And my point is about that is that they they plan to have several seasons. So what's the rush here? I don't understand. Well, they're going to get those kids to adulthood as I quickly guess. as possible yeah. to get that story moving. Um, I have seen the next episode, and I'm not going to give anything away. But there is one development that I just loved i practically mm. cheered and you awesome. haven't seen no, it no i yet, haven't but, seen it yet yeah uh i loved it um and it's a development that it actually is um it goes against what the books say huh. but it's such a good idea that when it happened i was like oh god that's awesome <laughs> so i'm not going to give anything away about what that is um it, I will say that the show can, and when it had this moment in this next episode where I, I, I practically fist pumped, I was like, you know, I think the show needs more of this because it's really a drag. Um, I mean, most of the next episode deals with Lena's funeral. Um, mm-hmm. So the show is just very much a drag. Uh, it's a lot of shitty, shitty people. It's the worst family in the world with the worst family dynamics in the world. So it's not that much fun to watch. Right. Nobody, sometimes nobody's nice. But you know, I, 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 I love the show. I think the show it gets better and better as as we said before, and um, the characters getting more and more developed. Uh, I do like. I do I pretty, say, pretty much like everybody. Week. I do like the show very, very much, and I've been saying all along that um, uh, it is has better scripts and better acting than um, uh, The Rings of Power. Although I will say that with this episode, which I think did have some flaws in the way, I mean, I just don't think the time jump worked as well as it could have. Um, and we just put up a review of this week's uh, The Rings of Power, and I kind of feel flipped now. That Rings of Power episode was so good. It was this, insane, this last, yeah. With each successive episode of um, House of the Dragon, I still love it. I'm still involved in it. Like I said, the next episode has a moment that is pretty much my favorite moment of the se- series so far. But um, it's it's a drag. And everyone's a piece of shit in it. Uh, I don't need people to root for. I really don't. But um, uh, you kind of need moments of triumph here and there in order to make the show fun. And so far, it's really lacking that. Um, right. I think when he picks up a little with all the dragons and, and the kids and all that, I think, I think you know. We'll... There's been so much table setting in these... <laughs> Pardon me, in these first episodes, and yet then they they did this big jump where it feels like all of that table setting sort of got thrown away, and right. now we're supposed to accept this new reality. And I'm fine with it, but I, it was jarring this first episode. It really, really helped that those two actresses are so well cast and they very, are. very good. They're they just are. as good as the young women who played the characters first. But um, it felt like a new season, as we said, and yeah. like we had seen a lot, and then new season comes. Um, and we didn't have that. We didn't have the, the in-between, right. um, you know, whatever they experienced that we don't know. I mean, you're just supposed to accept that they're adults now and, and you right. know, and they, they one I, is very mean now. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I understand. Uh, they did lay a lot of groundwork to get Allison to the point where she was, you know, she hated Rhaenyra and she feared for the safety of her children. Um, I get that, but that, that turn to just stone cold bitch from right. sort of quiet, shy girl 
it was a little too abrupt for me, especially since Rhaenyra, Emma Darcy does a really great job. I, I now I understand that the directors or showrunners uh, asked the older actresses not to confer with the younger actresses. Oh, I didn't. They, know they that. didn't want them trying to imitate each oh, other. Oh, I didn't know that. But. Uh, I still feel like there's a sense of continuity between Millie Alcock's performance and and Emma Darcy's performance. It feels like the same Mm -hmm. person. It's really hard to reconcile uh, Emily Carey's performance with Olivia Cook's, even though it's been explained, even though they look like sisters, they look like they could be the same person. Um, That's such an... uh, It's too much. And I think um, that's hard to accept. Um... Uh, what else? Oh, I wanted to talk about, um, do you have anything you want to add? No, 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 not yet. Um, go ahead. Okay. I, uh, wanted to talk about Harwin Strong's, uh, or about Rhaenyra's children with Harwin Strong. And again, not to sound judgmental about her or anything like that, although you judge fictional characters all the time, but I kind of wish the show, I, I mean, we got to see uh, Rhaenyra's sort of sexual awakening when da- uh, Damon took her to the flesh houses, um, and they established that she um, she wanted sexual fulfillment in her life. Like that was something that sh- she wanted as a young woman, and it was actually very unusual for that you know that culture. But um, I can't help thinking, like, well, how the hell were you so reckless to have three children by a man you're not married right, to right. when? Uh, they make it clear in the show that that is an act of treason and she could lose her life for it. So why what? Why are you getting pregnant all the time by your lover? Like, I realize that uh, unplanned pregnancies happen, but three, three and ten years right. is... I, I think the, mo- the uh, Explain most, that to me. Right. I think the most shocking to me was the scenes where he, he wants to see the baby and, and, you know, and they're together and, and you know, celebrating the birth when, you know, you're not supposed to be... Well, they were alone when that was I going know, on. but even so, I mean, it, it does feel like they they don't care in a way because I guess they have the protection of the king, uh, I guess. And, and But the story nobody's doesn't... Nobody's going to talk about it. No, the story doesn't hold that up it it seems very contradictory or unexplained to me like she is living in fear right now that her secret will be found well it it killed her husband essentially i mean not her husband her lover essentially um so uh, i just i wish i had seen some understanding of how you got into that situation in 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 the space of a decade it's one thing to take a lover. It's one thing to get pregnant by that lover. Uh, but not like three times. <laughs> three times. And like yeah. after the first time and it became obvious that, you know, and that's the other thing. I mean, there's an added nuance to it, which actually is really to the show's credit. Um, because the father, the the man she's married to is biracial. Right. So it's all the more obvious that he's not the father of her children because they cast a biracial actor and because her father-in-law is black. Um, this, uh, this is a classic, right. the best example you can give for why you should cast actors of color in fantasy settings. Cause in this instance, it actually enriches the story. It actually makes the story make more sense right? because literally everybody thinks can see those children yeah. are not his children. And if it just came down to hair color, that would be a lot, even though Martin is weird about hair color in his stories, that would be a lot to hang a story on. But when you start getting into 
you know, those children are clearly all white, you know, those children are not biracial or multiracial, then right. it, it adds a depth to it. So I like that aspect of it. But I really wish someone would explain to me how she was this, especially since in the previous episode, she almost lost everything because she went out and, and had a good time in right, front of right. people. You almost lost everything. And then you spent the next 10 years making that same mistake over and over and over, like being somewhat reckless with your affairs. Right. And I think that's why Allison, in a way, there's a scene when she complains to King, like, again, really? Another baby? Like, I think she, she, in her dialogue, in her conversation with the King, I think she expressed that. And that's, really? Another one? But someone explains to me what Rhaenyra was thinking. That's the problem with with this massive time jump. And now her lover is dead. So we're never really going to get any examination of what what were you thinking? Like, I understand you didn't have rubbers and birth control and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, there are ways to ensure that you don't accidentally get pregnant and, you know. Three times in a row. Right. And in 10 years. And it's a little weird. I also thought it was a little weird the way she reacted um, when her husband wanted to be part of the the whole thing, you know, the baby. And and she looks at him and acts like, you know, you're not the father. What do you care? Or, or, you know. I think that might have been because he's not present. He's out drinking and and fucking boys. Um, And I do, I'm not offended by this. I'm not angry by this. But I'm a little annoyed by this. The idea that um, it's impossible for a gay man to father children. Like, it just could not do it. It Or if you're gay, you're not part of that world. Well, no, I'm talking more about the physical aspect of it. Because um, history is full of gay Mm -hmm. men who who did their right. duty and fathered children, not just right. royal men, but all kinds of men right. who lived in the That's closet. True. So just this idea that his gayness was a handicap, like, <laughs> I, I don't love that that sort of characterization of gayness. Um, there are so many yes. royal uh, lineages that were fathered by gay men right. um, in, in history. So the idea that Lenore just simply, it was just impossible for them to have any children. Like, why not just, do it. Do an air and a spare with your gay husband, and then you can fuck anybody you want. Right. Uh, even if you wind up getting pregnant you're by his brown-haired kids or whatever, you'll at least have two children that are identifiably your husband's that's children. That's true. That's true. Um, that's the part. Uh, it's just, she's not dumb, uh, um, Rhaenyra. In fact, all of this was very clearly explained to her in the previous episode. So I spent this whole episode wondering, well, what? why why did you let this happen i understand oh i don't know passion and and she seems to have loved the guy but okay you're going to get your head chopped off if right. if you if this these charges come to or light i have to explain a lot of things and <laughs> you you already know that when you try to ascend to the throne the co- the country's pretty much going to devolve into war you've been told this your whole life so why are you risking so much um, I, that's the part about Rhaenyra. Like they, they sort of painstakingly explained Allison and why she becomes the person she becomes, even though that turn towards pure bitchdom it, right. it was a little sudden. It was explained. Rhaenyra, I don't get it. I don't yeah, get it, it at all. It's not consistent. Um, especially, she saw her, I'm sorry, real quick. She saw her own mother die in childbirth and this was supposed to have been formative. Right. So, you would think a woman like that would not be reckless about pregnancies. And, and about, you know the what whole, I mean? about the whole thing, I mean, like in the previous episode, you know, she pretty much 
said no to Kristen because he wanted a different life and she understood that she was the queen or she was going to be the queen and she had to, you know, follow right. a, a certain style of life or, or type of life. And now she here she is, you know, doing all these things that w will kind of like... Throw all of that throw, into... Yeah. And when, a, I just want to say, when I say reckless here, it's not reckless for a woman to get pregnant. No. <laughs> it's not reckless for a woman to have a child uh, and you know, not plan the pregnancy or to have a child with someone who is not, uh, she's not married to. That's not, it's reckless for a queen, for a princess who was in line for the throne, mm -hmm. who can be beheaded. So when I say it's reckless, it's not a moral judgment on her for having an active it's, it's sex life. It's a bad life. political it's, decision. <laughs> it's a bad personal and political decision that will not only threaten her life and the lives of her children, right, true, but will also threaten to tear the country she's supposed to be ruling apart. Everything about it, I'm I was like, well, I need some, I need a moment. I need to understand how you got to this point where you are delivering your third mm -hmm. quote unquote illegitimate child to use the terminology that they would have used. Um, because no child is illegitimate, of course, but in the context of this story of a feudal patriarchal mm -hmm. medieval-esque society, I need to understand why the hell you were doing this because it, Everything up to that point, story-wise and character-wise, presented you as a person who would not do this. Right. I mean, again, I return to that point. You saw your mother get basically get killed in childbirth. Why would you allow your... I mean, a, a, a character like that would more likely be much more protective of herself from getting pregnant. It just seems... None of it ties together very mm. well. Um, and I, I really like the show. I'm really interested in where it's going. And I did kind of love the next episode, but I ultimately, I think the time jump, um, wasn't great for it. Uh, right. I think they should have spent an entire season with the young actresses and then do that time jump at the end of the season. I agree. At, you I, know, I feel like, two, the, like the crown does. And this is the second time jump that like, so it's, it's, it's rushing a little, it's I, rushing a lot. Yeah. And, and you don't get to spend a little bit of time with these characters so that you can, you know, make a better, have a better opinion about what they do, their decisions and so on. Yeah. But overall, I'd loved it. Again, love everything about it. Love the dramatic cinematography, the costumes, and everything. I'm I'm still interested. It, of it, course, it's I'm one worried. of those shows that I'm 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 still watching. Yeah, and and appreciate everything about. It. I think the the actors are doing a great job. The dialogues are are kind of interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's that kind of show that you just sit and watch and pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, which, you know, it's not necessarily energetic or 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 vibrant and fights and and wars all no. the time so it's pure family drama yes um, and i am enjoying it i just wish they hadn't done this time jump or yeah yeah i wish i don't mind the time jump but i think they could have explained a lot of things about the the changes in these women right. um over that period um I think we're done with that. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Blonde. Mm, Blonde. Yeah. Directed by Andrew Dominic, a New Zealand director who has done the assassination of Jesse James um, and a couple of other films, mostly guy films, which I think is a point in, in this discussion is that this is really the first film of his that centered a, a woman and that was about a woman. And subsequently um, it didn't, make any attempt to understand that woman at all um you've probably heard a lot about this film by now so let's let's just uh 
confirm some of what you heard. Um, it's two and a half hours long. She is... Two hours and 47 minutes. Anna de Armas plays uh, Marilyn Monroe, and uh, Marilyn is brutalized for two and a half hours, or two for, 2.45. Um, there are multiple rapes depicted. There are multiple abortions depicted. Not that abortions should be considered brutalized, but the way they depict it on this, in this movie, it's brutal. Um, the second abortion is forced upon her. Um, uh, and... Um, all right, let's talk about Marilyn. Marilyn is, the, the, there's a lot of reasons why Marilyn fascinates, you know, 60 years past mm-hmm. her death. There were plenty of sex symbols in the 1950s and the 1960s that were very much in the Marilyn mode, although most of them were um, imitating her. She she was pretty much the original. Um, but we're fascinated by Marilyn all, all these years later because, partially because of the um, the sadder aspects of her life. Um, they have become part of her mythos. They have threatened to overwhelm the public's understanding of her um, in in the sense that her tragedies are more well-known than her films. That's not happening yet, but it's... it's Movies like this don't help, where they... they um, mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before. Um, uh, we talked about this, actually, when Kim uh, Kardashian wore the dress at the Met Gala. Um, and I cited Farhan Neem, who is uh, on Twitter, a self-styled siren. She's a film historian, and she listens. So hello, Farhan. Uh, thank you for the support. But um, she has talked in the past about how uh, uh, figures like Marilyn or Joan Crawford or uh, Judy Garland, um, the messy aspects of their personal lives have so overtaken our understanding of these women, who were all insanely talented artists Uh insanely talented artists judy joan and and marilyn um it has threatened to overwhelm our understanding of their work uh that we don't um and so a a film like this is very very frustrating to anybody who is a fan of marilyn because there is no part of the film that explains to you or demonstrates to you that she actually was extremely good at her job and it wasn't some sort of fluke on her part in fact well, we'll get into that. Go mm. ahead. What did you want to say? No, no. Um, there's so many things to say about this movie, but it's still talking about Marilyn. And Marilyn was a very intelligent, very intelligent woman. B, she was talented. These things were not used most of the time, but in in in, in general, it, Hollywood did that to most women. Right. Um. They just put them in a box, and they had to play that role for many, 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 many movies. Uh, right. And that's what happened um, to uh, Marilyn Monroe. But if you see, like, Bus Stop, for example, it's an incredible performance. Right. You can tell that... Even Gentlemen Prefer Blondes yes, yes. or How to Marry a Millionaire, those are hilarious yes. performances. She is great, and you can tell um, if you sort of... If you saw footage of Marilyn Monroe and and you saw her acting, you can see that she actually she's not the person she's she played. not the same. And yes, this is a yes, problem with yes, Anna de Armas's yes. portrayal. I, and I will say this: Anna de Armas in a better movie, we might be talking about her Oscar chances because it is a hell of a performance. Um, however, um, too much of it is based on mimicry, mm-hmm. and that is how she was directed. She was told to act yes. this way. So her, and it is very good mimicry. There are times. Remember when uh, they do the "I want to be loved by you" scene from it's, some like it? I've actually went to look at that scene again mm-hmm. because the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I was like, "Holy shit, that's like a deep fake." Well, that looks so much like Marilyn. Yes. It's uncanny. But 
Um, Marilyn didn't talk like that all the time. Right. Marilyn, right. You know, she talked like that on film. You can see interviews of her where she does not talk like right, that right. at all. It was a character she was playing, right. not her life. Um, there's so much to unpack here, but ba- back to what you just said. Um, yes, and I made that point while we were watching the movie. I said, uh, you know, the only thing under the armas is amazing, and she's trying really hard. Uh, and she's doing a good job, you know. Right given what she was supposed to do. Right. Um, but um, there is no difference between her being Marilyn Monroe and, and when... And, and her when, being Lorelai Lee. Yes, and and when she plays the, the parts that Marilyn Monroe right. played. I mean, there's no difference there. And if you know Marilyn Monroe, uh, if you watch footage, like I said, you can see the difference. Right. Uh, you can see when she's playing, and, and you can see when she's being herself or... The character. I'll Marilyn say this: uh, Michelle Williams, who played Marilyn in My Week with Marilyn, um, and I, there were some aspects of that performance that I, I think didn't quite work. Not the least of which is that her her public Marilyn was very small when, in fact, Marilyn was exuberant. Right. That's why she was so larger than life. But I will say, Michelle Williams got that part right. The scenes of Marilyn in her private life she doesn't sound anything like right, Marilyn. Exactly. Um, that no was an act. And the if you base a whole movie on the fact that she acted that way throughout her whole life, then you are, right from the jump, you are demonstrating a lack of understanding of who she was because that dichotomy, and it's, the, oh my God, so many directors and writers, Joyce Carol Oates, who wrote The Book Blonde, are so obsessed with the idea that Norma Jean and Marilyn are two different people. And that's so fucking annoying because... Um, there's nothing new about, uh, especially in that period, about actresses changing their names. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one claims that Judy Garland and Frances Gum were two different people or that, right. you know, Cary Grant and Archie Leach were two different people. It was common practice back then. We do not have to, like, layer this schizophrenia over her. Right, right. Having said that, there was a private Marilyn and a public Marilyn, and... Marilyn, um, who did legally change her name to Marilyn Monroe, so she clearly thought of herself as that, um, but she did refer to the public Marilyn as her. Mm-hmm. She would refer to that as a, as as something that she... But that doesn't mean that, you know, she's Norma Jean when she's at home right, and Marilyn right, when right. she... That's too simplistic, and there's so much about this film that winds up being incredibly simplistic and... Just play. I turned to you at one point, and I know the exact point. She's on a beach with her lovers because there's a she's in a thruple in the beginning of the movie, um, and she lit, stares up at the sky and she looks at the stars, and the stars start swirling around, and then they turn into sperm, and that's how we find out she's pregnant. And I turned to you and I said, "This is such a silly movie. That is mm-hmm. the silliest way to show." pregnancy that i've ever heard of that i've ever encountered silly and then later in the film she winds up having a discussion with her fetus which is inside her where her fetus is like please mommy don't kill me listen i wanted to turn it off i i wanted to turn it off you know 15 i don't know 20 minutes in and in fact i turned to you and said is this going to be it for two hours and 45 minutes um and i and i I, and i also told you i said listen i'm you said you don't have to watch this i was like i have to watch it because i'm going to talk about it on the podcast so i have to finish this but the movie i i'm trying very hard to understand the director here and i'm trying to be very open here about the movie i have some thoughts about that but the movie is nothing but snapshots um it's it's pretty much as I said. It it looks like an you you're scrolling through somebody's Instagram account. It's just beautiful images, um, 
And back to Anna de Armas, I'm sure she had the pressure of looking like her or of talking like her and the makeup and the hair people did a fantastic it job. is impeccable the work costumes are gorgeous so if you're looking for imagery if you're looking for beautiful shots of Anna de Armas looking like Marilyn Monroe yes you're gonna see a ton of that but to me and we're gonna talk more about it but to me there's nothing more than that uh there there's very little dialogue there's very little link between one scene and the next. Um, there's just these beautiful images. Or here, here's some iconic moments of Marilyn Monroe. Well, let me just explain that part, is that so much of the film, so much of, uh, of the imagery in the film is them taking, you know, Mar- Marilyn mm-hmm. was literally one of the most photographed women of right. all time. The photographic evidence of her life is massive. And, what, and to the average viewer, I mean, I think maybe if you're, say under 30 you might not be as familiar but to to the average american let's say uh over 30 most of those images are seared into our brain we've all seen the images of marilyn on the beach the images of marilyn in bed the images of marilyn in the pool they're all so iconic because we've seen them the images of her with with arthur miller in that flower dress that she wears in the movie and that's what the movie does they take all of these snapshots and photographs and a lot of them were publicity photos um or modeling shoots and they recreate them and then create a scene where... She, so we get to see her in the flowered dress having her miscarriage in front of Arthur. Like, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it took the iconography of, of Marilyn's life and tried to spin out a biography based entirely off that iconography, which is why, I suppose, Anna de Armas never stops doing that Marilyn voice. Because the point of this film is that she was an icon all the time that she was never a pro- and this is borne out i will say let me just unpack a little bit of what andrew dominic did here i do not agree with the conclusions of this film and i do not like the style of the film and there's so much about it that is sophomoric and stupid and if not outright misogynistic um however and that's a big however uh it is consistently applied he had a vision of what he wanted to do with this story. And I will, on a purely directorial Mm -hmm. level, I can say that he actually did accomplish that. Um, So the the use of all the iconography was deliberate. And I Mm -hmm. guess taking that way, the idea of her constantly doing that Marilyn voice even when she was in her, I think that was also in some ways deliberate. They because he isn't interested in the interiority of the real Marilyn Monroe. He's not interested in unpacking what she thought or how she processed things. That is not what the story is about. The story, uh, from his perspective as the director, is about how this this woman, this love goddess, this the most desirable woman in the world, was consistently brutalized uh, by men. And that is not an untrue take on Marilyn's life. That is not incorrect. Um, she did have an abortion or two. She is rumored to have had a lot of abortions, but there are a lot of rumors about Marilyn Monroe. Um, she was abused by her mother. She was abandoned by her father. She did have um, substance abuse issues, and she did have mental health issues. All of that is true. She was... Actually, I'm not sure about the rapes. I think a lot of that is just assumed because she was she looked like that and she was in the studio system in the 40s and the 50s, so everyone kind of assumes that she must have been chased around a lot of desks. And she did mention that in in um interviews after she became a big star about having to, you know, 
you know, ch- men trying to literally right. chase her and that sort of thing and, and casting couch scenarios. But all of this gets blown up to such violent, violent proportions. Like, she is rumored to have had an affair with President Kennedy, which I want to, like, we all accept that that is accepted truth. And I'm not arguing with that. But I need to remind people that there is almost no actual evidence of that. Um they, I mean, there is some slight um, anecdotal evidence about her with JFK, but right. that's it. Um, I'm not arguing that it, it didn't happen, but I am suggesting that a lot of the stuff that we take for for as truth about Marilyn Monroe's life is rather thinly sourced. Um, so yes, she we we know that she had some sort of affair with President Kennedy, and that is turned into just a grotesque sexual assault scene right. where we have to watch Marilyn giving him a blowjob. And I'm not talking discreetly shot from behind her head. It is a close-up of Marilyn's face on JFK's dick, and the whole time we're listening to her thoughts saying, don't gag, don't throw up. I mean, that's just vulgar. I, that's just <clears throat> vulgar as shit. Well, I was going to get to that point later, but since you brought that up, I was extremely, but extremely offended by that scene. Uh, I And listen, I've watched many blowjobs in my life, so that is, <laughs> that is not why I was so offended. I was offended because I, I didn't see any I purpose. felt so bad for Anna de Armas I, in that scene. Well, that's the thing. The thing is, she I'm was a- working so hard to give a great performance Yes. And then this camera lingers on her for this pornography moment. And it was just degrading. And the way he shot it, it's so wrong. Because it's not just her face. You can actually see the dick. You can see it going in her... Yeah. Uh, it's her hand covering uh, Yeah, it. whatever. But it's just so brutal. It's just so... There's no reason for that. It's just there to shock people. There is, yes, there is absolutely no reason for that. And if your point is that she was used by men, including the president, you use the worst possible way to show that, uh, to make your point. Um, it's just, there's so many things wrong, and I, I now I understand Anna de Armas because interviews out there, because she gave several interviews when she said, where she said that she was extremely afraid that all these scenes were going to be used and, and they were going to mock her and create memes, and now I see why. Yeah, and maybe when your actress is saying some of that stuff, that should you should question right. whether your approach is there the is, correct one. There is no point. The thing is that you watch the movie and you try to understand her, but there's no soul. There's the, no The movie nothing. does not want to understand there's nothing, her. But the movie do... wants to tell you that she was brutalized. The right. only thing Andrew Dominic has to say about Marilyn is that she was a victim of a patriarchal right. system. And there's a story to be told there. You can tell that story. Right. But he chose, and a lot of people in their reviews or in their comments about this film don't seem to think that this was deliberate, but I actually think that he knew exactly what he was doing. He chose to depict the brutalization of Marilyn Monroe, the the actual person, by brutalizing her as a figure on screen. He did to Marilyn Monroe everything he said that the men were doing to right, her. Right. So he he degraded her. He literally literally gets up inside her vagina not once twice. but twice in the yeah, film yeah. and i mean the camera is inside her vagina it's, 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 at a later point the camera is inside her womb the the degradations of marilyn's cinematic body are legion in this film and they are i don't think he's a dumb person i don't think he didn't know what he was doing this was a creative choice on his part i am going to brutalize the cinematic figure of marilyn monroe to make a point about how the 
physical person of right. Marilyn was right. brutalized. You could argue that there's some cinematic value in that, but the result of it, the the result of the film is just, it's not pleasant to, I mean, it's not supposed to be pleasant to watch, obviously. It's, it's not a traditional biopic. Right. It is a horror show. We talked about this while we were watching it, that there is some kinship with films like Pablo Lorraine's Spencer, where he takes a very um, impressionistic view of Diana's life, and he didn't try and give you a biopic. He basically gave you a horror show Mm -hmm. by showing the world through her eyes. But that's the thing. Spencer shows you the world through Diana's eyes. You never see the world through Marilyn's eyes in blonde. No, no, you, you don't. only see how Marilyn is perceived by men. That's Everything, the only thing you see in the movie, right? And and someone actually mentioned on Twitter when I said, "Well, I'll talk about the the movie on, on our podcast," and said, "Well, you have to see this movie as a horror movie." Okay, but even so, everything you have to have a message. You have to deliver the something. best horror movies have what's called the final girl. Right. Which is when the final, like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, the, the, the girl who survives, who, who, um, who uh, faces off against the, the monster or whatever like that. And those characters have impact. Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, has impact and is still making, you know, appearing in movies because she's a woman in a horror film who has agency and interiority. That's the thing. You can do a horror film. They, like I said, Spencer was a horror film about Princess Diana. You could do a horror film about Marilyn's life because there was a lot about it. That was right. truly horrible right. and tragic. But uh, if you're not going to unpack anything about her or how she felt about these things, how these things... There's a scene... I, we're giving a lot away, but honestly, whatever. There's a scene after her um, enforced abortion where she is kidnapped and the, someone, you know, whatever, it's an enforced abortion. She's drugged and she wakes up in bed the next day and she's hazy and she doesn't remember anything. And she's, you know, so, you you know, you clearly get that she does not remember that she was abducted and forced to have an abortion. And then she throws off the covers and her body, she's naked in a lot of the film. And that can be a problem because so much of the film is about her being brutalized. And so there's a lasciviousness to it. On the other hand, Marilyn was known for that. She was actually known for walking around naked a lot in her life. Anyway, she throws off the covers. She's naked and she's completely covered in blood. And then the scene cuts and we never we never get to see her reaction to this. We know that she was brutalized. We know that what happened to her. We have no idea what she knows because the film isn't interested in depicting that at all. No, not at all. At one point, she's on her first date with um, Joe DiMaggio, played by Bobby Cannavale, who, honestly, weird casting because he, yeah. he's too old and he doesn't look like him. Um, you can't just throw any Italian in there and say, all right, you play DiMaggio. Anyway... Um, they're on their first date and he asks her, how did you get started? Meaning, how did you get started in acting? And first off, she immediately flashes on her sexual assault, um, the first producer to, to rape her in his office. Um, and then she claims to not understand what he means. And then she just sort of shrugs and says, I I don't know. I, you know, and that is, that's stuff like that isn't, is offensive to me because, as the film already showed a couple of times, she worked very fucking hard on her career. She right. worked. She went on auditions. She did all this shit. She studied. She was as she studied. She was ambitious and right. she was smart and she was well trained. And all of that gets thrown out the window yes. just so we can see one more shot of her getting raped and then her acting like right. she doesn't know why she wound up in acting. It, it, 
I don't understand anything about it. No respect it. for that woman no, at all. I don't understand. If you, if you want to talk about her and how brutalized she was, for first of all, why are you using a fictitious book? Why use a nonfiction book? Because then you can make the brutality that yeah, much worse yeah. why, and that much more cinematic. Why, why is your movie inspired by, you know, or based right. on a nonfiction book? Uh, I mean, a fiction book, right? Yeah. Right. So why? If you want to tell a true story here, if you really want to talk about you know, what she went through you, you using a book uh, makes no sense. And you gave, the director gave an interview saying that, you know, this movie is about childhood, you know, what you go through childhood, in your childhood, you know, all the, all the things you suffer, blah, 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 which is true. She went through hell. Her mother was very problematic. She didn't have her father with her. Um, but there's more to it than that anybody it's anybody's life anybody's life yes i and mean nobody's life is all tragedy or, or all humor right, or, right i mean life has ups and downs and um like i said you can do a film depicting Marilyn's life as nothing but a series of tragic moments but actually that's how most depictions of Marilyn are i right and i i really felt this watching this film where i was it, I, I felt very powerful. I was like, I don't really want to see any more films about Marilyn, except I would love to see a film by a feminist director, by right. a, a woman director who takes a feminist point of view from instead of another man looking at her body and talking about her being this love goddess or whatever the fuck, you know, it's just the lamest, most tired shit. And it's all up there on the screen in this movie. It's, I will su suggest that he makes some formal decisions, some directorial decisions that are powerful and strong, mm -hmm. and that he has clearly thought the the film is cohesive and consistent. And you know, he's not sloppy in his directing. He had a perspective, he had an idea of Marilyn, and the film hammers that point home over and until it's unavoidable. On a certain level, you can look at that and say, well, that's strong directing. He he is a director who knows what he's doing. He had a vision and he adhered to it. So I'm trying to give him that while at the same time saying, yes, but the vision he had was limiting, misogynistic, and brutal. One of the... Like, he tries to make these points about men leering over her and, and victimizing her. And then he does things like he restages the subway great scene from mm -hmm. the seven-year yes. itch, which, if you've ever seen the subway, sub, it's a scene where her, her dress blows up. Everybody knows that scene. Um, for the most part, that scene is rather chaste. It was shot in, like, 1957. Of course it was going to be chaste. It was not going to be some... But not this version. This version, the camera literally zeroes in on her crotch in her panties and then turns around behind her and zeroes in on her, where it fills the screen, where it's just Marilyn's right. ass right. and Marilyn's <laughs> pussy, pardon my words, filling the screen. That he reduced this iconic film moment into her yes. body parts. And look, I know why he did it, because he kept switching it with, with you know, cutting it in with scenes of men leering at her. And so obviously, the point is, this is what they all see. All they can see is that she's an ass and a crotch. Right. Okay, but you're doing that. You're doing exactly what you're... Right. You are reducing her to those things. Yeah, I get it. Your point is that, and I can't believe you spent 11 years developing this movie, um, is that she's meat. Okay, right. but two hours and forty-five minutes of, of treating that, her like meat. Yeah, it's 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 exhausting. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. She never once takes any pride in her career. No, no. She never takes she has any no friends. She has no friends. She never takes any joy in her career. Again, returning to interesting directorial choices. 
Uh, if you notice, she is almost always shot alone in a in a scene. Like even if she's in, interacting in, with interacting with people, he yeah. makes sure that her shots she is completely alone. Um, and that's an interesting perspective, but that isn't necessarily how Marilyn's life played out. No. She had a lot of friends. She had an active social life. She had lovers. He he gives her one moment early in the film where she enjoys sex, where she has, but of course has to be with a, a, a thruple, which I mean, I don't know if that's textually supported or not, but it's the only time in the film where she is slightly joyous, but it's still played in a very sort of exploitive sort of way. It still looks like porn. Um, and I don't want to give anything away, but then even that, that part, that relationship turns out to be terrible. Um, it just, it's not worth your time. Honestly, don't, I mean, I'm not going to, I rarely tell people not to watch films. Um, he does make some consistently strong directorial choices. Um, and it, it, with a better script, it might've been interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, he certainly has a hell of a performance in Anna de Armas. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I don't agree with certain aspects of it she works really freaking she i've worked, never seen an actress work right. so hard to capture marilyn she worked really which is hard. such a shame because yeah you, you did you capture she does a great job you know marilyn on screen of course not marilyn in her real life she had those micro expressions where all these little yeah. things would yeah. flitter across her face before she uttered her line she gets that part of it the um it's something that actresses never never get with marilyn when they portray her is the classic marilyn look you should barely be able to see because she keeps her eye she keeps her eyes so heavy lidded that's why that scene where they recreate uh, Some Like It Hot, that's why she looks so much like her, is because she barely opens her eyes. Yes. Yeah. And then midway through the scene, she has a meltdown, and suddenly her eyes are open. And and I was like, that's it. That's that's yeah. smart it's, acting, where you can see that the on-screen version of Marilyn and the off-screen, they don't even look alike. Right. Um, I hate the movie, but it's beautifully shot. <laughs> Whatever you say about it, it's the, the shots are beautiful. Yeah. Because there are snapshots of her. Right. They're literally they're just photographs of her and she looks incredible hair yeah. makeup and everything she looks incredible and she as you said she did a phenomenal job uh especially considering that english is not even her native language and she tries her best to have the accent the voice the, the, everything down yeah um she does a great job and i've but i couldn't help but feel sorry for Anna the Armas. Well, that blowjob scene i really felt oh, sorry I, for her i was so angry when we got to that part because that was just so vulgar, so not necessary. Uh, or ugh, the scene where he's beating her and she's naked. It's just, And yeah. she's like on the floor naked. And I'm like, why? I understand that Marilyn... Yeah, but she's naked the entire She's naked time. the entire film. She's naked, or at least her, with her top off the whole fucking movie. And I mean, I'm not offended by the sight. And like I said, Marilyn was known. So much of this film um, could be defended, you know, uh, if you attack her for, for being naked all the time, the defense is, but that's true of Marilyn. And there's many pictures of Marilyn that was, or if you say there's too much brutality, but it's true. Marilyn was brutalized and it's true. She did have an abortion and it's true that she did want children and that uh, it was a serious gap in her life that she wasn't able to become a mother. All of that's true. Her father abandoned her. Her mother beat her. All of this is true. But um, it, it's all overdone. It's all done, uh, overdone and overextended. And, and there's no other aspect of Marilyn's life in the, she cries. She is crying in 
90% of this film. She's tortured. Meanwhile, Marilyn was, had one of the greatest smiles of all time. Yeah, she was yeah, vivacious. Yeah. She was, I mean, I know she was a troubled woman. And you know, line forms on the right, we're all troubled women in one way or another, for God's sake. But if all you tell of her life is the dark parts of it, then you're doing her right. and any life yeah. a disservice. People were making the point, well, it's not really a biopic here, meaning that, you know, covering every aspect, everything that right. happened in, in her life. But a I snapshot is supposed to be... I I, right. I actually like these sort of... Well, it, People say it's not a biopic. It is structured exactly as a biopic. It starts from her uh-huh. as a child and ends with her death. Right. It is well, literally then, yeah. her entire life. So when people say it's not a biopic, that's bullshit. Spencer's not a biopic. Um, My Week with Marilyn is not a biopic because those are snapshot right. movies that try... They take someone in a very short period right. of time and they try to explain who they were. This is literally Marilyn's entire life from cradle to grave. So if that's not a biopic, what the hell is? It's just a bad biopic. I just felt that it was brutal, unnecessary violence and and, and rape and and use of someone. I mean, she's like an inflatable doll throughout the entire movie. And Andrew Uh, Dominic would say, but that's how men treated her. Yeah, okay, but I don't need to see... There was more to her life than that. Yes, exactly. I mean, and even if that is your message... I didn't get anything. I watched the entire movie. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this movie here, and there is no message. I, right. I learned nothing that didn't make me think about anything. And the thing is, if you're going to do a, a picture examining Marilyn Monroe, especially if you're going to be looking at her public persona so strongly, mm-hmm. um, but, and but you don't take a moment to explore or explain or pr- uh, convey. The sexual atmosphere of the 1950s, which was, you know, heated and a little fucked up. And the Kinsey Report came out and and the way women were allowed to act post-World War II suddenly became much more restrictive. And it, it allowed for the rise of figures like Marilyn Monroe right. and later, like, I don't know, Jane Mansfield or Diana Doors or Sherry North or any one of her, her um, I want to say competitors or imitate. Well, most of them were imitators. That sort of um, wiggle and bump, blonde screen siren, you know, tight, tight, tight dress sort of uh, figure from the 1950s. There's a reason that became so powerful. There's a reason that that figure, literally that figure, the bullet bras and the girdles and all of that, became because it's sort of similar to uh, the Victorian era when you tr- Victorian era when you try and repress sexuality uh, in a culture, you know, in a society, in a culture, it starts coming out aesthetically. Right. So, right. like Victorian furniture and fashions were so completely over the top, and architecture and all that because they were so, partially because they were so sexually repressed. There's a reason why all the armchairs in 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 uh, the Victorian era had like chicken feet and animal feet because it was all these animalistic desires right, right, coming right. out. It's the same thing when you look at at like Betty Page or Marilyn Monroe or those weren't just sex symbols, they were fetish figures. Marilyn was of course people loved looking at her naked but her her image was someone in a tight skirt, tight girdle and a bullet bra because those are fetish items. Right. That is a fetishistic take on womanhood and that was a very popular image of sexual womanhood in the 1950s. And she was like the avatar of that. She was the goddess of this, all this sexual repression that was coming out. I mean, I think her first movie or her first, I think Niagara came out 
the same week that Playboy, the first issue of Playboy came out. I think out. it was like that. So yeah. All this stuff was in the mix with Marilyn culturally, and there's none of that in the film. No, there's none, none of, none of if, that. If your message was to show how fucked up she was because she had a terrible uh, childhood, that her mother was horrible, and she didn't have a father, and she missed her father, and it, it, and she was used and abused by every man she encountered. Uh, if that's the message, and that then yeah, but all you showed her us was her being raped and abused and, and tortured. And you didn't seem to have anything else to say about and it. And you didn't seem to have anything else to say. That's my point. I mean, it's not like that you couldn't have those images, uh, although I think they're way too much, but there's nothing else there. Right. So who the hell wants to watch two hours and 47 It's the minutes? number one movie on Netflix. Well, and of course, of course us devoting a podcast to it is probably helping, yes. you know, because no one can stop talking about it. Right, because it's so horrible. I'm sorry. It, it's a horrible movie. Uh, I, And you can tell that he can direct. I mean, visu- yeah. visually, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, I'll have to say, well, when... He, he shows me, well, I'm not giving anything away. It's when he shows her dying in bed, it's a beautiful scene. The music and the way he shot her. I was actually very emotional at that point. I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful in a way because it's so so sad and beautiful. And then he spoiled it. You know, I'm not going to give With it away. The image? Yes. And uh-huh. then he gets to the image and I don't want to say anything. What she sees. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, I was just like, are you and fucking I'm, kidding me? I know. It's that? such a beautiful and sad moment. And then he ruins He it. inserts this weird thing in. And I'm like, oh, of course. Of course you have to spoil even that moment. Right. So, no, I did not enjoy the movie. I watched the entire movie because I wanted to talk about it. Of course, I wanted to talk about it, something that I saw. But no, I say skip it. I have to. I rarely tell people not to watch yeah. films. Like, make up your own mind. And obviously, yes, you should make up your own mind. Should, I'm not telling yeah. you not to. But I, if you want my recommendation, it's don't go. Yeah, don't. Re- remember when I always say, give it 50 minutes and turn it off. No, just skip this one. <laughs> um, maybe your curiosity will get the better of you. And sure, why not? I'm not. You know, whatever. But I, it's bad. It's, it's bad, bad and, and I, it made me feel bad. It's bad. I feel bad for Anna de Armas. I feel that bad this for movie, Marilyn Monroe. Like yes. Uh, oh, I remember when Anna de Armas was saying. I think it was at the Venice Film Festival that oh, Marilyn's ghost no, came God, to no. COD. I, no, you are fooling yourself if you think the real Marilyn is going to look at that film and think, oh, thank you for no, doing no, me no. justice. In, are you kidding me? She fact, would be humiliated yes, by it. Yes, the New York Times has a great review, I forget. Manola Dargas. Yes, thank you. And, and you know, the review says, you know, thank God Marilyn Monroe is not alive, alive to, to see, see this. this. Because it is just... It's not an homage to her. No, it's, it's not. It's not a celebration of her. It's a brutalization of her. Yes. In... in in an attempt to make some point about how she was brutalized. It's just... Uh, anyway, I think we've beaten this one to death, no pun intended. I know, and I just want to say one more thing. I mean, throughout the entire movie, you cannot not think, this is a man directing this. That's why it was... I'm Yeah, like, this is I a don't man always have this it. thought, but I was like, I really wish a woman yeah. would direct a film like this. Yeah. Um, and it's such a shame because so much work was put into recapturing... Um, 
what what Marilyn was like on screen right. and and what little we saw of that work it was really impeccable the makeup the hair the recreations mm-hmm. of the sets and the costumes yeah. and everything like that but we don't really get to see many we they don't recreate much of her performances because they're not interested in her as an actress no they're not interested in showing you that she knew what she was doing and I feel bad for Anna de Armas because I feel this movie is going to haunt her um I I do too I I think so um, um, I, it, it's a shame, but I think that at some point she's going to be interviewed and talk about what this movie has done or will do. To her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she is a talented actress and I don't think I've ever seen Marilyn portrayed that accurately. Uh, mm-hmm. the on-screen Marilyn. Right. Um, it's, but I, but I've said this before. Mimicry is not, uh, it's a very, um, sometimes in biopics, mimicry is overrated. Um, it's more about getting to the truth of a, mm-hmm. of a of a person, and this film does not get to the truth. It's not even interested in it. But I do think when you are playing uh, someone as iconic as that, you do kind of have to get the mimicry down. Otherwise, the audience can't buy it. It was right. part of the problem I had with Michelle Williams as Marilyn. Because She's such a good actress, but, it, but she did not like really yeah. devote herself to trying to figure out what Marilyn was on screen. Um, anyway, I like I said, I think we've, this is the end. I think we. Yes. I, otherwise, um, we're just going to rehash. No, things. no, no. I agree, but it 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 it, it was a visceral reaction uh, from my part. I think watching this movie, it was just absolutely horrific and uh, very, very disrespectful. I agree. So, um, thank you for listening, kittens. I hope we haven't made you too upset. Uh, let me let us know if you're on our site. Uh, in the comment section, what you thought of? Yeah. You, did you see Blonde? What did you think of it? And also, what do you think of um, the time jump on House of the Dragon and how things are going in that little fucked up world? (laughs) So uh, until next week, when we'll be back with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks, love you, mean it, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.